Would you stand with us and we sing together?
You guys can be seated. Pastor, would you come? Declare that uh, Jesus is alive and uh, celebrate that. Glad that you have joined us as uh, we together uh, seek to become more like Jesus. We do that as we uh, gather for life-changing worship. Together, corporately, we declare uh, the resurrection life of Jesus. And uh, as we grow through life-changing truth. Do that in the study of God's Word corporately in small groups uh, on our own as we uh, search the Scriptures. And we go in life-changing mission. Uh, Go local, go short, go long. sharing the good news of Jesus. Glad that you are here to join us in that. I want to bring a few things to your attention. Some of them are really around prayer. Uh, First of all, we have a prayer wall that as you go out into the commons and to the right, uh, there's a screen there with some tags hanging. We have not used that for about a year or so until recently, and I encourage you, if you have a prayer request, to go and uh, write that down and hang that on the wall, uh, or you go there and pray for some requests that are hanging there. We, We would appreciate that. The staff uh, takes some time to do that each month in praying for those requests. Uh, Also today, between services, the prayer room will be open for you. There will be uh, two or three elders in there gathered ready to pray for you. That room is just outside this door in the hallway there and an opportunity to minister to you. Uh, a little more broadly than that, uh, next month we will have an anointing, uh, prayer and anointing time as part of our worship services, so be ready for that uh, at the close of each of our services, an opportunity to, to uh, receive a, a prayer and anointing from elders and pastors as part of our worship gathering. Uh, at the close of our service today, uh, we'll welcome some new members again, so I encourage you to stay for that and uh, to uh, be encouraged as uh, folks uh, officially join with this uh, body. Right now, I want to pray and ask you to join me as I pray uh, on behalf of all of us. Lord God, enliven us today with the power of the resurrection. Every single one of us who names the name of Jesus, may we know the the life that you have provided uh, just flowing in and through us today. May it invigorate our worship and inspire our lives uh, in a way that uh, just would bring glory to you. Uh, We honor you today, the Father... Son and Holy Spirit and all that you've provided for us. And we we thank this morning and thank you, Lord, for fathers. Those uh, you have given that privilege and responsibility of of, uh, raising children. And Lord, we thank you for each and every father here. Whether this is the the first time, this is this initial uh, Father's Day for them. Lord, give them strength and wisdom and courage to follow you as they help to raise their children for the glory of God. And for those who are, whose children are grown, or maybe they're grandchildren, uh, Lord, just encourage them, each father in this day. May they keep their eyes on the eternal Father and uh, keep their confidence in you alone. Uh, Bless them, Lord, as they seek to follow you. May, May you bless each of us Lord, we didn't come here to be blessed as much as we want to bless you for all that you have done. So Lord, uh, allow us, empower us to do that uh, through music, uh, through hearing your word, through just being encouraged by your spirit in the fellowship of your people. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I'm going to direct your attention to the screens now. My name is David Cervenka and I'm serving here with my family and No Place Left Japan. We are a coalition of like-minded believers and churches who are working together 
to multiply disciples and churches until, Lord willing, there's no place left for us to work. And uh, I'm just reminded of the, the gospel truths that Paul sets forth uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I'm actually filming this from a cemetery near our home where my wife and I often come to pray. And I, I think about these truths a lot as I come here and pray. But Paul uh, sets forth, he reminds us of the truths, the basic truths of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared in bodily form to his disciples. And Christ died for our sins. There's almost no greater truth to focus on. But we need to remember, as the focus of this chapter is, that he is alive. He's not dead anymore. His grave is empty. And the implications of this are far-reaching. One of the focuses of this chapter is our resurrection. Christ, is, it says, is the first fruits. That because he was raised bodily, we will be too. And there's this illustration of our lives, or literally our body, uh, as being like a seed. And seeds are not meant to be protected uh, or kept safe. They're meant to be planted. And the same is true for our, our bodies, our lives. So as a seed, uh, as it's sown, it becomes something way more alive and beautiful and fruitful. And the same is true for us. And uh, Paul sets forth this question again, just are we going to live our lives to protect this seed, to protect our lives, our bodies, or are we going to live for the purposes of God? Because we're promised to be resurrected to a body that can receive all of the good things God has prepared for us, which includes being with Him in person. So let's remember the resurrection of Jesus, its implications for us, and let's live our lives as though they are seeds to be sown by a kind and good Savior for grand and glorious purposes beyond our imagination. Amen. Would you guys stand with us again? Still comes in the morning, the hope still 
continue to worship together as we sing this song.
Doug uh, Stanhope is a comedian, so I'm not sure how serious he is about that, but he, this, he says for years in his wallet he would carry around a picture from his father's funeral. And uh, it was a picture of Doug kissing his father's forehead. And Doug said, so I'd bring that out anytime somebody showed me a baby picture just so they would know how it really ends. Well, that's uh, honest and real, and it's not how our culture likes to talk about death. We tend to avoid the word altogether, really. He passed away. She's no longer with us, and so on. Uh, I have this pet peeve of mine that I take issue with headlines that announce um, famous deaths. And uh, they're, they're often used as clickbait, I think, in a way. But, the, you know, the shocking loss of Gavin McLeod. He was 90 years old. I wasn't shocked by that. The tragic passing of Prince Philip, 99. He was a prince. He lived royalty his whole life. The surprising death of Doris Day, who was 97. That's not a surprise to me. Surprising would be if she was going to have a baby. That would be a surprise. But we have some very strange practices around death and just for example like why do we call it a funeral home it's better than death depot but funeral home not sure what we're after there because our culture tries to soften and conceal the harsh reality of death in all kinds of ways now even christians get carried away using code words to describe it or acting like there's no need to grieve, which I think is extremely unhealthy and unbiblical. Uh, that's not what we learn from Scripture. Now, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we're in the middle of one of the greatest passages in all the Bible. It's chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It's all about the resurrection. The Corinthian church was confused about this very important truth, so Paul spends 58 verses on the topic telling us why it's so crucial. Last week, we uh, focused on that, the first 11 verses, uh, which include this creed, this ancient creed that Paul didn't write, but was passed on to him from the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul memorized that and taught it to the Corinthians and to all the other churches he planted as well. This is the, the first creed of the church, the outline of the gospel the eyewitness testimony of the death and burial and resurrection and appearances of Jesus. And that's the bedrock of our faith. It's the truth that changes everything. That was our focus last week. And if that was the last sermon I ever preached, I would have been satisfied with that. And frankly, that's how I approach every sermon, as if it might be the last one I ever preach. And therefore must declare the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we continue this morning in verse 12, where we discover why Paul wrote this chapter. Chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul's astonished here. Uh, the Corinthians are ignoring or they're denying the eyewitness testimony of the apostles about the resurrection. And we're not quite sure what it is that they didn't accept or why they didn't accept it. Uh, probably because it was an embarrassing thing to talk about in their culture, as it might well be in our culture today. Uh, this was a society that did not believe in bodily resurrection. 
Now, later in this passage, Paul's going to refer to an Epicurean philosophy that was popular in his world, the ancient world. Let me just remind you of what the Epicureans believed. They believed that when the body died, the soul didn't exist anymore either. That that was it. That was the end. And so the Epicurean philosophy was, if death is all there is, then we need to live it up now. Life should be a party. A book written in the first century, so it was around when Paul was there in Corinth, uh, shows this attitude. Dinner with Trimalchio. It describes a, a character who throws lavish feasts, and during his gluttonous, drunken dinner party, Trimalchio says this, Well, well, if we know we must die, why should we not live? So that was the approach. That was an Epicurean approach. That was popular in Paul's day. Another common belief uh, in the Greco-Roman world was that the body dies, but the soul lives on. Uh, You say, well, that sounds good. No, 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 that's not a Christian concept, by the way, in this sense. That, That was dualism. That was mysticism. Because what that did was it viewed the physical body as evil and the soul good. And so all of life was the soul trying to get away from this evil body in this material world. And uh, this view crept into the church and became a heresy. And I think that that's the error that Paul is addressing here. We still hear this kind of dualistic heresy in the Christian world today from pulpits and in funerals and people when they talk about death. So, you know, God needed another angel, and so he took so-and-so home. Well, that's hogwash. That's not how this works in any way. Uh, So that's not what happens at death for anyone. You don't get your wings. You don't become an angel. That's not. If you picture heaven, and if you picture heaven as a place where your disembodied spirit floats around, you have a heretical, unbiblical view of resurrection. What the Bible teaches is an eternal existence of the body and soul through resurrection. That death has been swallowed up by the resurrecting power of Jesus. And uh, we're going to see what that resurrection body is like, Lord willing, if we make it to next week in the end of this chapter. But uh, we need to hear Paul's argument about why the resurrection makes all the difference. The passage that we're focused on this morning, uh, the rest of them I want to divide into two parts Uh, The first, the first part of that, the first half, is to talk about the losses that we experience without the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, I want to point out six losses. And then the other half of the passage, I want to look at the gains with the resurrection. That's what do we gain? There are seven of these that I want to mention this morning. And I'm going to move through these really quickly, especially the losses. So what do we lose without the resurrection? The first is you lose the gospel. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Jesus is dead. If you're not believing in a bodily resurrection, you you lose the very foundation of Christianity. It's bogus, it's empty, it has no effect. There is no good news because it disappears without this truth of resurrection. That's the first loss. The second loss is faith. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. So no matter how strongly you believe, no matter how firm your trust, it's all discredited. Preaching, kerygma, is is the Greek word here. It's the message of the gospel. That's empty, he says. What you trusted in is worthless. It's bogus. It has no effect. The third loss is credibility. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ. 
So Paul says that if the resurrection isn't real, then all the apostles are liars. All these eyewitnesses, all these people that you've respected, it's all a hoax. Uh, they've conspired to deceive you, and we've misrepresented God himself. His name has been used to lead you astray, and his words have been distorted. Loss of credibility. Fourth loss, forgiveness. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, you are still dead in your sins. You are damned if there is no resurrection. Because sin's wages must still be paid. The gospel is that Jesus paid it all for me. That by grace through faith, his death on the cross, my guilt is transferred to him. He died in my place. He paid my penalty. As uh, uh, Romans uh, 4.25 says, he was raised to life for our justification. So if he's not raised, then you're not justified. You're still in your sin. You're still under the death sentence. Eternal separation from God. And the curse is not reversed. So there's no forgiveness. Then you lose hope. Verse 18 then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So there's no hope for the dead. Those believers who died are corpses that you will never see again. There will be no meeting in heaven, no gathering of all the people of God. Those diseased, broken, deteriorated bodies will not be reanimated. Loss of hope. And then, sixth, there's a loss of meaning. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So life has no ultimate purpose if there is no resurrection. So whatever it is that you put into this belief uh, in Christ in this life, that's all you're going to get. There's nothing else. The Christian life is meaningless. The Christian life ends in the grave. Your service to God, your generosity, your acts of love, the use of your spiritual gifts all amount to nothing beyond what's occurred in this life. Loss of meaning. Now, that's the first section. Six losses without the resurrection. And Paul starts the next section with the Greek phrase, nuni day, which means but now, or but concerning, or but in fact. And whenever Paul uses this phrase, he's declaring an exceptional truth. He's, he's declaring a contrast to what he said before. So in contrast to the devastating losses, if there is no resurrection, there are great gains. And what are those gains? Well, here are seven of them. First of all, guaranteed victory over death. If the truth of the resurrection is real, then you have guaranteed victory over death. Verse 20, but in fact, noonay day, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, I want you to understand that death is an invader. Maybe you've been taught or come to believe that death is a friend. Death is an enemy, not a friend. It's an invader. It came into this world through sin. That's the biblical viewpoint. And its entrance into sin so that the human race now needed a Savior to restore life. And that's God's plan, to send the Savior, Jesus, who is the life, to rescue us from sin and death, the very fear of sin and death and the death sentence that we're under. And so this gain of the resurrection is that you have victory. You are raised like Jesus He's the first fruits, which that's a term used by the Jews, Leviticus 23, for example, uh, of the first sheaf of the grain harvest. 
And, and it's not just that it happened first. Oh, this is the number one. But this, this meant that this was the first guaranteeing more to follow. That uh, because Jesus went first, the rest must follow. He's the one representative that determines the fate of the group. And so all those bound to Christ will be raised like Christ. You will have a resurrection body, which I can't wait to talk about next week. Uh, that, that's going to happen next week. Uh, not You won't get it next week, but uh, unless Jesus comes, but I'm going to talk about it next week. So uh, that, that guarantee, victory over death, that's the first gain. The second gain is a Christ who returns for you, verse 23. But each in his own order, he's talking about resurrection, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Christ already received his resurrection body. We have that testimony in Scripture and the eyewitnesses, the appearances. But your resurrection, if you're in Christ, is still to come. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened for anyone yet except Jesus the resurrection body of all those who believe will happen, when will it happen? At the coming of Christ. Parousia is the Greek word Paul uses here. That word was used for the arrival of the emperor. And so when there was an imperial visit to a Roman colony, all the citizens of that place would come out and give all pomp and circumstance to the emperor and welcoming him in his arrival. And so Paul takes that word that was familiar to all of his Greek-speaking audience, the parousia, that they knew what it meant, and he applied it to Jesus' return. Just as he promised the risen Jesus will return. And that's when the resurrection body will be received. Uh, Jesus is fulfilling what he promised in John 14, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a great gain. Christ who returns for you. The third gain is all enemies destroyed. Verse 24. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So the destruction of enemies, not your enemies. The, the, the people you may see as enemies may not at all be the enemies of God. Don't say, well, finally, so-and-so is going to get it. No, these are the enemies of God, those who oppose God. And notice there are three specific words used here. Um, arche, the word for rule. Exousia, the word for authority. And dunamis, the word for power. And so uh, all the opponents of God in every form will be defeated. That's the promise. Ultimate victory is assured. There will finally be justice for all, not just justice for some. Every ungodly force will be dethroned. Whatever that force is, spiritual, physical, whatever, it will be dethroned. All those who have gone their own way, who have determined their own power, who have rejected the authority of Jesus as Lord over their lives, that those will be dethroned, gone, destroyed. Even the last enemy, Thanatos, death death it's an enemy to lose a loved one is painful and ugly please don't get the idea that's perpetuated by far too many christians and churches and pastors that we're supposed to pretend like death is not a big deal it is a big deal it's, it's not a lack of faith to cry and to mourn we, we grieve like but not like those who have no hope there's a difference to our grief but no death is repulsive 
It tears apart relationships. It destroys the normalcy of life. It rips open a wound that takes so long to heal. And this cosmic power that is Thanatos entered the world through Adam, the sin of Adam, and it reigns over everyone. But in Christ, death does not have the last word. And not even this death, this power, this authority can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So that gain is all enemies destroyed. The fourth gain is that God reigns supreme, verse 27. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So although Christ the Son is the victor, that doesn't place God the Father under him. Uh, and I, I, There's a reason why Paul goes into this detail. We have one God, three persons. This relational beauty of the Trinity is not a temporary thing this is an eternal relationship god the father son and spirit and this one creator god remains the one over all creation christ hands the kingdom that he has received back to his father and god alone reigns and this affirms god's undivided and total power over all enemies and nothing will again challenge his power his authority and rule forever and ever and ever god reigns supreme the fifth gain of the resurrection is reunion verse 29 otherwise What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? What in the wide world of sports is going on there, right? Um, This is an obscure passage. There are dozens of different interpretations about this. And I'm not going to begin to share all the possibilities. This is an obscure passage. I'll I'll tell you what I think, as I've studied this out through the years, that there were some in the church in Corinth, and probably other churches as well, who had trusted Christ and died before they could go on with their Christian life and be baptized and be publicly identified with Jesus. We had baptism in our services last week as as people identified with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, going down into the water, under the water, and up from the water again. And so... uh, I would think some those who died before they could go on in their Christian life and, and identify publicly with Jesus, uh, they had some concerned relatives who tried to fix this by getting baptized for their dead loved one. Now, early church father John Chrysostom d- describes what uh, one heretical Christian group, the Marcionites, did. So here's what they did. John, John talks about this. He says, uh, when a member of their church died unbaptized then somebody would stand in front of the corpse and ask do you want to be baptized and somebody else would be hiding beneath the table where the body was and would answer yes and they would be baptized for that dead person i think it seems that something like that was happening in corinth trying to cover all the bases some corinthians were doing baptism by proxy in a misguided attempt to prepare their loved ones for heaven. And Paul says, look, that's pointless. He doesn't even rebuke them, seemingly. That's pointless unless the dead are raised. Like, why are you doing this? It makes no sense. Now, the gain of the resurrection is that you will be reunited. This misguided attempt to say, well, I want to make sure I'm with my loved ones in heaven. Paul says, no, no. The, the resurrection guarantees that. 
Because of Jesus, we will see our believing loved ones again. In resurrected bodies, we will gather with all the people of God in fullness of joy forever. Scripture affirms this again and again, that we will be raised together with Christ forever. So there's a reunion day coming. That's the gain. Sixth gain, fearlessness. Verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Paul reminds them how he puts his life at risk for the Gospel. He faces danger and deprivation and death with robust courage because of resurrection power. That's why he puts his life on the line. Now in that culture, uh, largely the Greeks and the Romans were terrified of death. Uh, Christianity changed the world's view of death, that it was not the end. And this allowed the believer to live with courage, fearlessness, because of what Jesus had won. That's a gain of the resurrection. And the seventh gain is self-control. Verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Uh, Paul quotes here, you see in the quotation marks, uh, a well-known proverb. It's from the ancient play Theos. And uh, that's the attitude. If there's no life beyond the grave, then, then you can live out of control and overindulge in every way. But the gain of the resurrection is that it empowers you and it inspires you to sober up and to live righteously. Why? Well, there's a life to come when all the promises of God will be fully realized. And that then gives this earthly existence meaning and purpose beyond living it up, but living with purpose and meaning for the glory of the One who made you and saved you. If you really believe the resurrection, it transforms how you live. And that's what I want you to think about today that living with resurrection power changes everything. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that he wanted to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. That you and I, you're you're a follower of Jesus, that there's a resurrection power that should infill and thrill your life every day and inspire and encourage and engage how you live. Oh. When I was considering whether God was calling our family away from ministry in Chicago to a church in Pennsylvania in 2005, in that process, uh, I got to know two leaders of that church in Pennsylvania, Don and Press. And uh, as I got to know them, uh, and they were encouraging me to come and pastor that church, Um, I was impressed with these men. Uh, They were godly leaders in the church, elders, and uh, I I just felt encouraged by what God had done in their lives and who they were and felt that if this was at all representative of this church, then I was anxious and willing to be part of it. So I I won't tell you anything more about Don because I want to focus on press. We got to know Press and his wife Jackie, and uh, wonderful folks. Press had retired, 
and uh, was giving all his energies to serving the Lord in the church and serving in the community. He's a great guy. Learned as we got to know them that uh, back in the mid-70s, they, their eight-year-old daughter, Melody Ann, died. Um, they were on a beach, and uh, a vehicle rolled over her and killed her. I think it was a, just a hopeless, helpless accident. Great grief. And I, and I think that you know, a, tra- a tragedy like that can do things. They, I, at that point, Press and Jackie were, I think, immature believers. And, and something like that that can happen can either drive you away from your faith in Christ or drive you to faith in Christ. And in Preston Jackie's case, it seemed to draw them closer to Christ and they were part of a, a great church that taught them the Scriptures. And they grew in resurrection power. And they became more and more mature, faithful followers of Jesus as the years passed. And so all these years later, I'm meeting them and getting to know them and hearing what God had done in their lives and how He had used them. And within that first year, Press got cancer, and uh, I would go visit him in his home and, and talk with him, and, and uh, as he began this rather slow decline toward death, and eventually, Press did die. And I spoke at his funeral service, and Jackie didn't shrivel up and go off into a corner. She began to lead our grief share ministry. Taking that which God had taught her and the loss of her eight-year-old daughter and now the the loss of her her husband after so many years together and other experiences in her life and be able to to share the power of the Gospel and the risen Jesus and the hope of resurrection with those who were grieving from all sorts of reasons. Fast forward to 2014 when I was called here to be the pastor of Cypress Bible Church. And Jackie came and told me the rest of the story. You see, where little Melody Ann was killed was on Galveston Beach. And the church that made every, all the difference in their lives was Cypress Bible Church. This is where they grew in their faith and learned that resurrection power makes all the difference and how you live. Jackie said when she heard I was coming here, she said, we're so sorry to lose you, but that's a great church. Cypress Bible's a great church. And you know why that is? Because we are founded on the truth of the Gospel. That we preach Christ crucified, buried, raised again. The Jesus who said, because I live, you too shall live. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promises that we have in Christ. May those come alive in our hearts and minds today that we would go forth from this place and live out the power of the resurrection with hope and fearlessness and confidence that doesn't come from us and our abilities, but is based on a living Savior. 
we give you praise. Father, for your great love in sending your Son. Jesus, for your willingness to be obedient to the Father. Holy Spirit, for your power, your indwelling presence among us right now. We thank you for all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you'd stand again, we're going to sing a couple more songs here before we end.
your name I come alive to declare your victory. Resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I arise from the ashes of Your name is me. 
this last song. Let's just focus all our attention on the Lord and what he's done for us.
Good morning. Um, I'm Brian Carroll, and my privilege uh, at the conclusion of this service to introduce you to nine of our new members. And so if you're one of those new members, if you would come on up here to the front. Uh, to be a member at Cypress Bible Church, we ask you to attend a class, and the next class will be in the fall of this year, uh, probably in October. And uh, then we also have an opportunity for you to interact with some of our leaders. They want to know about your story and walk alongside you, and they also want to share about the things about Cypress if you have questions. And so then after that, then the elders um, affirm the those who are becoming elders, and you're going, you can be right there, Ruby, is fine. You can be on this side. Um, affirm that, and then uh, we have the opportunity to announce them. And uh, when you came in today, hopefully you picked up a little flyer brochure that had their pictures and information about them. If you missed that, there's some out there in the foyer. It gives you an opportunity. You're good right there, Ruby. So it'll give you opportunity to, um, to get to know them as well. But I'd like to introduce them. Some of them are familiar to you. Some of you, them you see pretty frequently. Uh, the first one is Lael Hudson over here, and we see her quite frequently helping us with signing. She came to know Christ through the ministry at uh, Cypress Bible Church. And so glad to have Lael as part of our, new, a new me- our new, newest member. Uh, Alyssa Link. Is Alyssa in this service? I don't see her. Uh, where at? Oh, way over there in the, in, the, in the darkness. Come on over, Alyssa. Come on in. So anyway, I didn't, didn't see you over there. My bad. So I appreciate that. Uh, Alyssa has a heart to reach the others with the gospel, and especially a heart for those who come from a Mormon background. Uh, Ruby Lovelace, right down here in front, and uh, Ruby has uh, folded many a bulletin. Many of you have probably touched those bulletins that Ruby did, and she's rocked babies, and we're just glad to have Ruby here. Um, David Martinez, on the far left, came to know Christ through a series of of, of things, but uh, actually was here when we did a car wash a few years ago, and that's how we ended up here at Cypress Bible Church, interest in spreading the gospel to others as it's been spread to him. Um, Welcome, David. Daryl, and I think it's Nimzinski, um, but uh, um, you can see however you want to pronounce that. He jokes about that and how we say that, and he's already left to prepare. He works over in the children's ministry area, so he said he was going to need to leave early to attend to that. So we appreciate him being here. And then Kevin and Margaret Welch, we see Kevin lead worship for us. And then Margaret serves a lot in the children's ministry area. And so they're our newest members. And they're out of town this weekend, taking advantage. I think they're out in Colorado. And then finally, we have Joe and Anna Williams. And they, uh, you see them on the stage, uh, part of our worship team. And they also lead a grow group. And so we're welcoming, we want to welcome them as well. Would you join me in praying for all of them? 
Lord, I thank you for all of our new members. Lord, we thank you for how you are already at work in their lives. And Lord, we thank you for the way that they will continue to serve and be a part of the body here and as they will join together with us as we minister to others. And Lord, tonight or today, uh, this morning at the conclusion of our service, as we think about the power of the resurrection, Lord, we indeed, we thank you for both that comfort, that promise, and the courage and the strength that gives us to live our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live that way this week as we focus upon you and the significance of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.